He is risen. Amen. Amen. Uh, happy Resurrection Day to all of you and welcome uh, to those of you who are visiting with us this morning. I do pray that the Lord ministers to you as you've uh, gathered here with us. Um, you know, I think uh, Easter is just a special time of year for us who um, call upon the name of the Lord and are believers. It's a day of rejoicing and celebration. Uh, but I think as well, it's, it's a time where people are a little bit more open, they're a little bit more intrigued into um, what this is all about and, and why this is so important. So I'm uh, really excited just for today and all that God has uh, in store for us. Well, this week has been a very full and a rewarding week. Uh, last Sunday, uh, when we gathered together, we looked at Jesus' presentation of himself um, to the city of Jerusalem and what we commonly refer to as the triumphal entry. And though the triumphal entry is recorded in all four of the Gospels, we were in the Gospel of John uh, last week, and we noted that Jesus' presentation of himself took a couple of different forms. He first repre- uh, excuse me, presented himself as the Lamb of God. Entering into the city, he was presenting himself as our Passover Lamb. And as the Passover Lamb, he was to be inspected to see if he was without blemish and acceptable as a sacrifice. And uh, we talked a little bit about that on Friday night. Uh, We gathered to look at various portions of Scripture from Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospel as we noted the various conclusions that people came to regarding Jesus as they inspected Him, as they challenged Him and questioned Him, carrying that same theme of Jesus' presentation of Himself as the Passover Lamb. We noted a number of different people and their overall assessment of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was vigorously examined by many, and each of them came up with the same conclusion, that Jesus Christ was innocent, that he did nothing deserving of the pain, the punishment, the humility of the cross that he bore on Calvary. He was an innocent Savior. Uh, We noted the religious elite and how they failed to find any incriminating evidence against Jesus. They were silenced by him after their own thorough examination. (laughs) Excuse me. Then it was the Sanhedrin. Uh, They sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Uh, We noted how Judas Iscariot was remorseful for betraying what he determined was innocent blood. Herod found that Jesus had done nothing deserving of death. Pontius Pilate's wife, Claudia, declared Jesus was a just man. She didn't want her husband to have anything to do with him. Pilate himself tried three different times to release Jesus to the people and because he had found no reason for death in him. And even as Jesus hung upon the cross, a hardened criminal, guilty of great crimes, was able to see for himself that Jesus had done nothing wrong. And when it was all said and done and Jesus breathed his last upon the cross of Calvary, there the Roman centurion was standing by witnessing the uh, events unfold before him, he declared, certainly this was a righteous man. You see, the only thing Jesus was guilty of was loving us to death. (laughs) You know, we say someone, I I love you to death, okay? And we say that. No, Jesus loved us to his death. That's what he did for us, dying upon the cross because he loved us and desired to make a way for us to have fellowship and relationship with the Father. This morning, we're going to pick up where we left off on Friday night, okay? 
after the declaration of the centurion, we're told about some of the other reactions by those who witnessed Jesus breathe his last, including a group of women who were followers of Jesus Christ. And we're going to spend some time following them this morning as we continue to read from Luke's account of what took place nearly 2,000 years ago and what we celebrate here today. The title of our message this morning is God's Perfect Plan. God's Perfect Plan. If you have your Bibles with you this morning and you haven't done so already, go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 23. Today we're going to cover the last bit of chapter 23 and we'll continue on to chapter 24 as we look at Luke's account of what took place after the death of our Savior. Um, We're going to read actually from verse 50 to the close of the chapter. We will actually cover into verse uh, 2, verse 9 of chapter 24. uh, But just to get us going, we'll just read the close of chapter 23, verses 50 through 56 to get us going. Okay? All right. Everyone there in Luke chapter 23? All right. All right. I'm going to ask you to uh, rise in honor of God in his word as we read from the Holy Scriptures, the word of the Lord for us this morning. Luke chapter 23, verse 50. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision. Indeed, he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock, where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this uh, morning this opportunity that we have to come and to worship you, to uh, yield ourselves to you, Lord, and to celebrate and to rejoice the great victory that you won upon the cross and over the grave. And Lord, it is because of that victory that we can even come before you this morning. So we give you praise and we give you thanks. And we ask that you would just continue to be with us this morning, that you would lead us and guide us, that your spirit would do a wonderful work in this place. We lift our time, our service to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. In our opening verses here, we are introduced to a man by the name of Joseph. Now, this is the first mention of this man, and so we're given some details to help understand who this man is and what he's doing. And the first thing that we're told about Joseph is that he was a council member. Now, a council member referred to someone that was part of the Jewish high court that was referred to as the Sanhedrin. And we covered details about the Sanhedrin at our Good Friday service. But just in case you weren't with us, we're going to note just a few things that we know about this ruling court. We know that the Sanhedrin was a court of justice that was granted limited authority over certain religious, uh, civil, and even some criminal matters by the Roman Empire. The Sanhedrin consisted of 70 voting members and an additional member that was the head of the court. Uh, This position was always reserved for the high priest. And so there was 71 members in total. 
The people that made up the Sanhedrin were um, primarily chief priests, uh, former high priests, uh, elders and teachers of the law, scribes. These members were considered to be very religious, uh, very zealous for the Lord and the things of the Lord. And predominant within the ranks of the Sanhedrin were those that either identified themselves as Pharisees or Sadducees, uh, two groups with most of the time opposing views and interpretations of scripture that usually didn't get along so much. Okay? So when we think of the Sanhedrin, uh, not to throw the U.S. government under the bus, but it's what I think of, okay? Uh, you know, the U.S. government, you've got Republicans, you've got Democrats, they usually have opposing interpretations, opposing views, and they usually don't get along uh, very well. That's kind of like what the Sanhedrin was, okay? You've got a whole bunch of people uh, making decisions, uh, people of influence, and uh, a lot of them don't agree, and they have opposing views, uh, uh, and so it could be challenging sometimes. Joseph was a member of this ruling court, okay? And, but, you know, we have to be careful because we can really jump to conclusions and think of Joseph as simply just another one of these religious elite that were uh, corrupt and hungry for power that we read of throughout the New Testament as we read about the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees, the chief priests, the religious leaders, and all these kinds of things, oftentimes shed in a very negative light, Okay? Let's see what else Luke has to say about him, because it is a bit surprising to hear what Luke says about Joseph of Arimathea. Okay, Luke writes that Joseph was a good and just man in verse 50, indicating to us that he was a well-respected man, a man that was upright and who was fair in his decisions and in his judgment. We're also told that Joseph did not consent to their uh, decision. Indeed, in verse 51, when it's referring to their decision, it's referring to the Sanhedrin's decision. So this lets us know that Joseph voted against what the Sanhedrin had done to Christ in bringing him before Pontius Pilate to be crucified. We could, I, I think, from our Friday night service, we could add Joseph's name to the list of people who found Jesus innocent and undeserving of the punishment that he received. Joseph was from a Jewish city called Arimathea, and he would be referred to as Joseph of Arimathea in the other gospel accounts. The phrase, waiting for the kingdom of God, well, that indicates that he was one that was waiting for the kingdom that Jesus preached and taught others about. And actually, other gospel accounts tell us plainly that Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but that he was not very open about it, okay, because he feared the Jewish teachers and the leaders and how they would treat him because of his following of Jesus. The verse 52 tells us that Joseph went to Pilate to request the body of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, Joseph wanted to give Jesus a proper burial. In order to do so, Joseph needed to get Jesus off the cross and buried before the sun went down on Friday. From our study on Good Friday, we noted how Jesus was crucified around 9 a.m. in the morning and then he hung on the cross for about six hours, dying around three o'clock in the afternoon. The next day was going to be the Sabbath, a day of rest. And the Jews recorded their days by set the setting of the sun. And so sundown on Friday would begin the next day. It would begin the Sabbath. And since this would be a day of rest, Joseph needed to get Jesus down from the cross, buried before the sun went down. And so that... Uh, he would not be guilty of breaking the Sabbath law of doing work on the Sabbath. And so he had about a three-hour window 
to accomplish this. Although not here in Luke's gospel, but according to John's gospel, Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus during the night and asked Jesus to explain to him how a man can be born again, he also was there with Joseph to assist in the burial. Pontius Pilate agreed to Joseph's request, and Joseph took Jesus' body, and according to verse 53, Joseph wrapped it in linen and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. These details should remind us of something very important, something that maybe some of you have never really realized, or perhaps some of you have written off as perhaps coincidental. As a believer in God, I've come to the place where I rarely, if ever, believe in coincidences anymore. Uh, But as we consider these details, it ought to remind us of another very important day in the life of Christ. You see, this is not the first time that a man by the name of Joseph has taken the body of Jesus and wrapped it up in linens and laid it in a hewn out rock. Because this is what happened when Jesus Christ willingly came into this earth as a man, as a babe, to be more precise. When he was born, Joseph, Mary's betrothed husband, wrapped the baby Jesus in linens and laid his body in a manger. Now, most people have manger scenes that we pull out during the Christmas holiday, and most manger scenes have in them a wooden manger. However, if you were ever to tour the Holy Land of Israel, which uh, I was able to do back in 2015, and I highly, highly recommend to anyone who would ever have the opportunity to do so. It is a life-changing experience. You would notice that the shepherds don't use wooden mangers to feed their flocks. Uh, instead, you would see that the mangers were made out of rock that would be hewn out and left in the open fields. I actually have a couple pictures from when we were there I can show you. So that first one is a stone manger with a metal-shaped horse in the background. If you're wondering what in the world that is in the background, uh, it's supposed to look like a horse to represent how the animals would come and feed from these uh, troughs, basically, these mangers. Uh, Seconds, another picture of what a typical manger would look like. Again, hewn-out rock that would be out in the open for shepherds to fill for their flocks. Uh, And so in his birth, he would be wrapped in linens and he would be laid in uh, something similar to this, a a small hewn out rock. Well, at his death, in the next picture, he would be laid in a tomb uh, that was also made out of rock. This is a picture of uh, a tomb that many believe could be the very tomb that Jesus was laid in. It's actually located in a garden just outside the city walls of Jerusalem. You can go visit it today. Um, the fourth picture is actually the inside of that tomb. Uh, that is where the bodies would lay. They'd lay the bodies in there um, for them to decay, and, and they would go in and clean up, and they would actually use the tombs uh, multiple times. Uh, oftentimes, families would be used. So if you go back one picture, if you can, possible. Yeah, so you see it's kind of a flat face right there. They would take a large stone and there's actually a runner on the inside of these tombs. They would roll these large stones across the entrances to these graves. And so that is a a representation of what it most likely looked like. And so here we see really the details of his birth lining up with the details of his burial uh, and the connections between Jesus' arrival to earth and his departure. They're too similar to just write off as coincidence. And as I read about these details, it reminds me 
that God has a plan and that he had a plan from the very beginning and that there are no coincidences in his plan and that he works out all of the details. God's plan from the very beginning was always to send his son to die upon the cross for our sins and the sins of all humanity. God's plan was a rescue plan for you and for me. A rescue plan that rescued us from our sinful fallen nature and allowed for us an opportunity to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. God's plan is perfect and He has a plan for each and every one of us here this morning. And if you are here this morning and you are unaware of God's plan for you, I pray that you would seriously consider seeking the Lord and asking Him what that plan is. That you would desire to know God's plan for your life. Because there are no coincidences in his plan. It's no coincidence that you are here this morning hearing this message. And I want to remind you and remind everyone here that God has a plan for your life. Okay. Verse 55, it says, And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. We're now told of some of the women that were witness to the burial of Jesus in Joseph's tomb. We're told these ladies were ladies that had been followers of Jesus Christ and that they had come with Jesus from the region of Galilee. Uh, recall that the region of Galilee was to the north of Jerusalem. It's where really uh, Jesus had his base of operations during his three years of uh, public ministry. As they watched the burial of Jesus from a distance, we know that something they saw was of great concern to them. Something really uh, bothered them. Uh, in Matthew's gospel record, Joseph of Arimathea had rolled a very large stone across the entrance to the tomb that Jesus was in. Matthew 27, 60 gives us those details. And in Mark's gospel, it's recorded for us that the women, as they made their way to the tomb on Sunday morning, that they wondered who would help them roll away the large stone. They knew that in themselves they would not be able to do it. So they wondered, how are we going to be able to get to the body. It's been sealed up uh, by this large stone. They wanted to be able to get to Jesus, but a barrier had been placed in the way and they were not sure how they'd be able to remove or overcome that barrier. Verse 56 tells us the ladies departed from the tomb and they went to prepare spices and fragrant oils that could be used upon the body of Jesus. You know, it was very common practice during that day to anoint bodies for burial with fragrant oils and spices in order to mask the stench of the decaying body and also out of respect towards the person that was being buried. They would have to wait though because uh, before they could anoint the body for anointing, uh, a body would be considered work. Okay, They were not allowed to work on the Sabbath and so therefore they had to wait um, until the Sabbath uh, had completed that they could come and anoint Jesus. And that's where we're going to pick up our account in verse 1 of chapter 24. It says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found a stone rolled away from the tomb. And the ladies that had prepared the spices, okay, along with some other women, they made their way to the tomb very early on the morning, the first day of the week, which would be Sunday. And as they arrived, they were met with a surprise. Previously, they had wondered who would be able to help them roll away the large stone that had been placed in front of the entrance to Jesus' tomb. But unbeknownst to them, the barrier had already been removed. 
According to Matthew 28, verse 2, a great earthquake occurred and an angel came down from heaven and rolled back the stone. And so when the ladies arrived, what they feared would be a barrier that would prevent them from coming to the Lord and was no longer even an issue. And I love how the Lord does that in our life. He removes barriers that keep us from Him and His plan for our life. You know, I recall a a situation in my own life where God did this very thing. God had a plan for my life. I was not aware of it, fully aware. And uh, God worked it all out. Back when I lived in the States, I was attending a small uh, Calvary Chapel church, Calvary Chapel Living Water in Corona, California. Yes, I'm from California, but I haven't lived there in a long time. Okay, so don't hold that against me. Okay, all right. And our church was planning a short-term missions trip to Okinawa, Japan. And I remember I really wanted to go, uh, but there was a barrier in the way, and that barrier was financial. Okay, it was finances. Uh, the trip was going to cost about $900, and as a young uh, full-time student in college uh, that waited tables, I was married uh, to Farah, uh, who was staying home with our firstborn, Caleb, who was about five months old at the time, and I was a little bit short of the funds. Uh, roughly about $900 is what I was short. Um, and I remember my senior pastor, uh, he came to me one day uh, when I was at church and he pulled me aside and he asked me if I was interested in going on the trip. And I told him, um, you know, man, I'd love to go, uh, but there's just you know, no way that I could go. You know, I just don't have the, the funds. I can't afford it. Uh, and that's when he informed me that someone had anonymously donated half the funds uh, required for the trip, specifically designated for me to go. Someone came to him and said, I want to give this $450. I feel like God has a plan for Glenn to go to Japan, and I want to, you know, just in faith, give this, you know, for that trip. And uh, I was so blessed, you know, and and so excited, Uh, but still short funds. Um, you know, even with half of the trip being paid for uh, by that anonymous donor, I still didn't have enough funds. Uh, and then something else happened at the same time, okay? Uh, the restaurant that I worked at was having a sales promotion with new menu items, and they had turned it into a competition. And the winner of the competition was going to win a cash prize, which was the first and only time uh, that I was part of a competition where they were giving away an actual cash reward. They had these things for every now and then, and it would usually be some sort of recognition, but they were like, hey, it's going to be a cash prize this time. I was like, wow. But even though by most accounts, I shouldn't have won the competition because a lot of the items were uh, new uh, cocktails that they were having. And it's like, oh, it's going to be one of the cocktail waitresses that wins this uh, award. We had a, and I was like, no way I'm going to win this because I didn't, that's not where I worked. But I did, I won. And uh, I received $300 cash prize. And I actually was able to scrounge up that extra $150 by God's grace and go to Japan. And it was on that trip I was offered a job as a teacher at a Christian school in Okinawa. And after much prayer, Farah, Caleb, and I moved to Japan. And the rest, as they say, is history. And my family and I have been living in Japan for over 19 years, serving the Lord. You see, God's plan for my life was to be in Japan. And what I thought to be a barrier, you know, it's like no way that can happen. It only became an opportunity for the Lord to show how awesome He is. And how he is able to overcome these barriers that we might know uh, him and his plan for us. I want to remind you, church family, God removes barriers that keep us from him and from his plan for us. I don't know where you guys are at this morning. 
I look out, I see a lot of familiar faces, but I see a lot of faces I don't know very well as uh, too. And so I ask the question, what about you? Are there things in your life that you see as barriers to coming to the Lord and submitting to his plan for you? What stands in the way of you completely surrendering to the Lord and trusting in his plan for you? You know, what sort of things have you placed between the Lord and you that appear as barriers to a fulfilling relationship with the Lord? Perhaps to what you may even feel like a calling upon your heart and life. You think, yeah, I feel like God might be doing this, but I have this in the way. You see, the truth of the matter is that the only barrier that can really keep you from the Lord is sin. (laughs) God can overcome and has overcome everything. Sin keeps us from God. It separates us from God. Isaiah 59.2 declares, But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You see, sin is anything other than perfection. We all sin. In fact, none of us uh, are perfect. We've all blown it at one time or another, oftentimes, many times throughout each day. We fall short. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so that sin in our life has become a barrier from knowing and walking in God's plan for our lives. But God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has even removed that barrier. That is what we celebrate and rejoice over this day, that Christ's victory over the grave has removed the barrier of sin that keeps us from God. And so now nothing can stand in the way. When he died on the cross of Calvary, the veil in the temple that separated the people from the presence of the Lord was torn in two, symbolically declaring to us that the barrier between the Lord and us had been removed. And so don't let anything stand in the way of you coming to the Lord and knowing him and knowing his plan for your life and just completely surrendering to him. For these ladies, they arrived early that Sunday morning. They saw that God had removed what they feared to be a barrier And I want to encourage, remind you all, God has removed the barriers. Don't allow anything to come between you and him and his plan for you. Verse 3 says, Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Another surprise awaits these ladies as they make their way into the tomb. The ladies went into the tomb expecting to see the body of Jesus, only to find that the Jesus' body was gone. It was not there. Verse 4 tells us the ladies were greatly perplexed about the situation. Can you imagine uh, this situation for the ladies? The look that was probably on their face. The picture being portrayed here is that these ladies, they are stunned. They're in complete shock. Their minds are, are trying their best to process the situation, but they are struggling to do so. The phrase greatly perplexed, it actually is one word in the Greek. It can mean to be in much doubt or to hesitate greatly. It also means to be entirely at a loss. So these ladies are, they come into the tomb and they're somewhat dumbfounded. They're, you know, they don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, two men appeared beside them in the tomb with them in shining garments. We know that from the other gospel accounts that these were actually angels that had appeared. These angels were sent by God to be messengers to the ladies when these ladies were at a loss okay, and they just didn't know what to do, God sent to them a couple messengers and God still does that same thing today. He may not send angels down in you know, fancy sequins or shining garments, okay, but he still sends messengers to help us find our way to him and to his plan. Someone at some time came to you as a messenger 
to tell you about God's plan for your life. Someone came to you, maybe invited you to church or invited you to a Bible study or told you about the Lord and his plan of salvation for you. And for those of you who are Christians this morning, you receive that message gladly. Maybe you're here today because a messenger invited you. Someone cared enough for you to invite you to church in hopes that you would come to know and understand God's plan for you. And what was the message these angels had for the ladies? Well, let's read verse 5. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? As these ladies were now in great fear and they had had their heads bowed to the ground, the angels inquired, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Such a profound question when you think about it. These ladies were looking for Jesus in a tomb where dead things are kept, but Jesus was not there. He was not dead. But I believe the question that the angels proposed to those ladies is a question that still needs asking today. Why do we look for the living among the dead? Why do we search for purpose and meaning to life in things that are dead? Too many people are searching for meaning through materialistic gain. We search for significance through a a significant other, through relationships. We search for purpose through position or prominence, success. And as long as we continue to look for the reason to live among the dead, we will never find the answer. We will never know what life is meant to be because life is found only in Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 declares to you and me, and this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Life is found in Jesus Christ alone. Stop searching for life and meaning and purpose in life in dead things. You will not find it. The angels continued the rest of verse 5, or excuse me, verse 6. They said, He is not here, but is risen. This is what we boldly proclaim and celebrate this morning. That Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. That the tomb was empty. That He was not there. That He is risen and He is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. Okay, All other religious leaders Uh, followers, people, they are dead in their grave. But Jesus Christ is alive. We worship a risen Savior. The resurrection of Christ is paramount to our faith in Christ. As much as we sing about and proclaim the wonderful work of the cross without the resurrection, okay, that work on the cross would be for naught. It would mean nothing. It would have no power. If the crucifixion was the payment for yours and mine and all humanity's sins, then the resurrection is the receipt. Okay? It is proof that the purchase was acceptable in the eyes of the Lord. The resurrection was proof that God the Father had also inspected Jesus as that unblemished, unspotted Lamb of God and found Him to be a suitable sacrifice for us and for our sins. The resurrection is foundational to our faith. Without it, we have nothing. 
1 Corinthians 15, 14 states, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 states, If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Do you guys understand the magnitude of these sayings, of these truths about the resurrection? You see, without the resurrection, our preaching is empty. Our faith is empty. Our faith is futile, and we are still lost in our sins. Without the resurrection, we are hopelessly lost. And there is nothing that we can be, do or can be done to reconcile us to God. We will be destined to an eternity in hell separated from God. Okay? That is the significance of the resurrection. Okay? Praise God for the resurrection. Praise the Lord that Jesus' payment was accepted. That the Father found Jesus to be perfect and the only sacrifice that was able to deal with our sin problem. Praise the Lord that Jesus is now alive and he offers that life to us because it is our only hope. Verse 6, it continues. They say, Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. I want to key in on one word here from verse 7. It's a small word, but a very, very important word. Okay, And I checked to make sure that it was an all the common translations that are out there, okay, I don't know all the different Bibles that you might be reading from, okay, but I checked the New King James Version, I uh, checked the English Standard Version, the New International Version, the New American Standard Bible, the King James Version, the New Living Translation, okay, and all of those, they all have this same small but oh so important word. In verse 7, that word I want you to pay attention to is the word must. Must. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified in the third day rising again. You see, there was no other way. This was the only way that God's plan would come to fruition. No other way was possible. Christ prayed for it, and he longed for another way. Do you guys realize that? He so earnestly prayed for another way that he bled drops of blood like sweat from his head as he prayed to his father there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three times, in fact, he prayed, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And you would think if there was another way for us to be part of God's plan that the father would have provided it, but there wasn't another way. Jesus was and is the only way. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus testified to this fact when he pronounced, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. It must have happened this way. No other option was available. Galatians teaches us that if there was another way for us to obtain righteousness, then Jesus Christ died in vain. He died for nothing. And I'm here to tell you that Christ did not die in vain. He did not die for nothing. He died to make a way for us. It was and still is the only way to the Father. Verse 8 reads, And they remembered his words, then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. The ladies, they remember the words that Jesus had told them. 
how Jesus had spoken about how it was necessary for him to be handed over, to be crucified, and on the third day rise again. You see, these words they had heard many times. Jesus had shared it with them and the disciples. More and more, as the time for his betrayal approached, he continued to remind him that this was what was going to happen. And yet it seems like that it's only now, in this moment, that the words actually sunk in and made sense. They had heard it many times, but they truly didn't understand it until this moment. You know, perhaps there are some of you here today that can relate. You've heard the words of Jesus time and time again. You've read his words before. You've read the accounts before. You know of and, and heard, have heard this Easter message before, maybe even. These words aren't new to you. But perhaps this morning, like the ladies, the words have somehow sunk in. They finally come to make sense. And your understanding of God's plan is coming into focus. It was a little fuzzy before, but now you're starting to get it. Now it's sinking in. May I encourage you to allow God's perfect plan to be perfected in you. To remember his words and to receive God's plan for your life. I want to encourage you to surrender yourself anew to him and to follow the example that the ladies left for us. For when they remembered his words and it sunk in and, and, and it finally made sense. Verse 9 tells us that they went out and told everyone about it. Let's be excited about God's plan for us and tell others of his plan as well. Maybe we're like, man, I, I, I get it. I get it. I, that's why this day is so important. Can we encourage you? Go and tell others. Go and tell people about a risen Savior that has a plan for their lives. Share that glorious message of hope that we have. This morning we looked at the record of Jesus' victorious triumph over the grave. And in so doing, we noted God's perfect plan for all of humanity. And we realized that God has a plan for us. That God removes barriers that keep people from coming into his plan. That God sends messengers to help us find our way to him and his plan. We noted the fact that life is only found in Jesus Christ, that he is alive we noted how Jesus is the only way to the Father. The only way to come into God's plan is through His Son. And lastly, we are encouraged to remember His words, to receive His plan for our life, and then to go and share it with as many as possible. You know, if you're here this morning and you have not yet received God's plan for your life, I want to encourage you to do so today that you would realize that your sin is the only barrier that is keeping you from God in a relationship with Him. And you would understand that through Jesus Christ's work upon the cross and His resurrection from the dead, that He has removed that barrier. That you would stop searching for life and meaning in dead things and turn from them and come to Jesus, the only place where true life can be found. And that you would freely receive His plan for your life and the salvation of your soul. We come to faith. We come to salvation by grace through faith. Okay. It's not anything special you have to do except acknowledge. Acknowledge that, yeah, I am a sinner and I have blown it. And I need God's grace in my life. I need Him to forgive me those sins. I want to have a relationship with the Father. I want to have the hope of heaven. If you want that today, 
I want to give you that opportunity to receive that, and I want to pray for you. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and lead us in one final song of praise. And as they make their way up, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And as we pray, I'm going to give opportunity for anybody here to acknowledge that work that God wants to do in their lives. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the victory that your son, Jesus Christ, obtained for us. And we rejoice in the resurrection. And Father, I don't know the the condition of all these people here today, where they stand with you. And, And so I ask, Lord, if there are any here today that you are drawing into a loving relationship with yourself, that you would move mightily upon their hearts and minds right now, Lord. And as every head is bowed and prayer to you, Lord, at this moment. I would simply ask for that person, if there be any here this morning that need to get right with the Lord, that they would so boldly just raise their hand up nice and high to acknowledge that work you desire to do in their hearts and lives. That today would be the day that they give their life to you. They would acknowledge that by raising high their hand to say, yes, I want that. I'm ready for that. I'm ready to know God's plan for my life and to receive it. Are there any here this morning that need to make that decision? Father, I thank you. I thank you for these, your people here this morning. And I hope and I pray, Lord, the fact that nobody raised their hand, Lord, is simply an indication that we've each made that decision already today uh, in our hearts and our lives prior to this, Lord. And that today truly is a day of celebration and a day of uh, rejoicing over the victory that we have in you and through you. And Lord, I pray that as we go out, to the world around us, Lord, that we would follow the example of these ladies and that we would tell everyone that we know about the risen Savior, about God's plan of salvation for each and every one of us. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, move in our hearts and in our lives, that you'd continue to draw us close to you and that we would just rejoice in the victory of the cross and the victory over the grave. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that a way has been made. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.